warm welcome on behalf of the congregation of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, Kingston, and in the name of Jesus Christ. As we begin this new week of grace, surely the same words are upon our lips and come to our mind as they did to the psalmist of old. The Lord has done great things for us, and we will rejoice. Let us begin this week together in worship, beginning with hymn number 438 in the Book of Praise. When morning gilds the skies, my heart awakening cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. In the midst of the 150 Psalms of Scripture, there is a collection of 15 that are known as the Songs of Ascent. The common understanding is that these 15 Psalms were put together to be the songs that the people of God sang as they ascended or went up to Jerusalem for the three great festivals of their faith. They're diverse in subject matter, these 15 Psalms. Some of them are written from a personal perspective, some from the perspective of corporate worship. Some are summons to confession, and some are statements of hope. But they're all shorter in length, 
which would make them, of course, appropriate for pilgrims to recite as they walked up the roads to Jerusalem. But another common thread is that there's thanksgiving for the past and prayers of hope for the future. So we come to one of these Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 126. The people remember a time of restoration and renewal by God, and their prayer is that they might experience the same again. Psalm 126, I invite you to read it with me responsively. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoice. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Amen. Through these days when we have not been able to gather together for worship in person, members of St. Andrews have been sharing daily reflections in which they write and have distributed some personal perspective or experience as an offering to other members in Christian community and faith. It's been a wonderful selection. We've read one day of a pet squirrel, another day of a pet duck. We've read of God's presence known in times of illness and personal turmoil, but also in days of joy and through the lives of others. We've heard of train journeys and journeys of the heart 
and so much more. Thanks to the generous offer of a household of this congregation, these 150 reflections will be printed, bound, and available to us for rereading later this autumn. But these Saturdays of August, one member of the congregation, Eva Barnes, has brought forward each week a vignette from a book she recently procured from afar and read, The Memorials of the Reverend John Makar, the second minister of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, Kingston, from the years 1827 to 1862. Her contributions are wonderfully evocative and encouraging, and the last was about the garden that the Reverend Makar set out, created, and nurtured on the grounds around the church as an oasis in the center of this growing town. I now invite Eva to lead us in the gospel reading from this morning as she reads in the midst of the Cataraqui Cemetery and the Makar plot. Let us pray. Gracious Creator God, open our minds and our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that as the scriptures are read, we may hear your living message for us today in loving reverence. Amen. The reading today is from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 8, and also 11 to 15. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell onto the path and was trampled upon, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell onto the rock, and as it grew, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and then the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, let anyone with ears to hear, listen. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones on the path are those who have heard. Then the evil one comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe only for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for that in the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patient endurance. Amen. Thanks be to God for this is holy word. Yeah. 
Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be found now acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The summer between high school and university, a friend and I spent 10 weeks cycling around Europe. We spent most of the evenings in youth hostels, which was an experience in itself, and some under the starry skies. These were days filled with wonder and, and exhaustion, and many experiences unplanned. When we got to the Netherlands, I was determined to visit the towns from which the cheese that I'd been eating all my adolescence in Hamilton, Ontario, came from. We saw a dam, and then I asked for directions to Gouda. Nobody could help me. No Gouda. I know there's a Gouda in the Netherlands. It turns out the Dutch don't pronounce the name of that town, Gouda. It's Gouda. This morning we continue by exploring the gospel through the work of a Dutch artist, Vincent van Gogh, or as I am told, the Dutch themselves would say, Vincent van Gogh. Van Gogh it will be for this morning. I'm grateful for these experiences of life and, and for those who help us explore the dimensions of human life. Some we are active, and some we receive as gifts, like the works of an artist like Van Gogh. Van Gogh was raised in a church very similar to this one, and he sought to serve God within the church. When his offer of service within the church was ultimately denied by the church, he embarked upon a, a private and profound personal search for God. And as an artist, he came to see more clearly and feel more deeply and communicate more effectively what the conventional religion of his day did not. Namely, that the whole world is infused by the sacred, that nature itself reveals the divine, that all of life is grounded in God. Van Gogh celebrated the Holy One beyond the sanctuary, and he did so in his art. He wrote, art, although produced by man's hands, is not created by hands alone, but by something which wells up from a deeper source out of our soul. Van Gogh was steeped in the scenes and stories of the scriptures from childhood, and upon this biblical foundation he built his life, his moral vision, and his artistic work. Paul Gauguin, a fellow artist and friend, at one point wrote of Van Gogh that his Dutch brain was afire with the Bible. For Van Gogh the Bible was not a relic of old, not some symbol of a dying religion. Van Gogh believed 
in the Bible as the word of God, but believed that the Bible pointed beyond itself. Is the Bible enough for us? In these days, I believe Jesus himself would say to those who sit down in a state of melancholy, it is not here. Get up and go forth. Why do you seek the living among the dead? I myself am always glad that I have read the Bible more thoroughly than many people nowadays. This morning we have heard Eva read that parable of Jesus about the scattering of the seed, a story of the Bible that was foundational to Van Gogh. In it we hear about how seeds are broadcast across a particular plot of land. Some are dried out by the heat. Some are choked out by the weeds. Some fall victim to the appetite of the birds. And some grow in good soil. Following the parable, there is a particular interpretation of the parable provided. And it's an exhortation for Christians to be the good soil. Many suggest that this interpretation comes to us from the first preachers of the early church in the decades after the resurrection of Jesus and before the Gospels were written. I believe that the primary point of the parable is the conclusion of the parable itself. A conclusion that is surprising and joyous. That despite the significant violence and destruction that has been suffered, the seed sown give an abundant harvest. A sower went out to sow his seed, and it produced a hundredfold. This is a parable about the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that is coming, that despite all our trials and failures, the kingdom of God that declares that all begun by Jesus will be brought to completion for humanity, indeed for creation. This parable was foundational for Van Gogh's understanding of the Christian faith and for his understanding of the Christian life. In the short 10 years of his painting career, he completed 30 variations of fields and seeds being sown. This landscape of field and harvest was not one just of childhood and adolescence, but one of personal spiritual journey and faith. He wrote, I won't hide from you that I do not dislike the country. Having been brought up there, I am still charmed by its magic. Of a longing for the infinite, of which the sower and the sheaf are the symbols still enchanting me just as much as ever. He wrote these words in the year 1888. And in that same year, he painted a particular canvas that speaks to me about the infinite and about us, about the Holy One and about humanity. My eye is immediately drawn 
to this radiant, vibrant, glowing disk of yellow. You might remember from last week in that canvas, The Potato Eaters, Van Gogh had used the glow of a lamp to convey the light of the gospel. Well, as his painting progressed, more and more prominently did Van Gogh use yellow. Think of the sunflowers. Think most often of the sun itself. From his letters, it's clear that Van Gogh used the yellow sun as an artistic device to convey the presence of the Holy One. And in this painting, the sun is oh so prominent. This is not a scorching sun. It's a nourishing sun. It's one that warms creation into life, that animates, sustains, and elicits growth. This painting speaks of life on earth under the providential care of God. It's clear that Van Gogh meant to use his art as a way to share the comfort and compassion he knew from his Christian faith. In another of his letters around the same time, he wrote that it was his intent, quote, ah, my dear friend, to make of the art of painting an art of consolation for broken hearts. As a young man, Van Gogh spent much time with one of his uncles, Johannes Stricker. He was a minister in Amsterdam, prominent. He had written several books, including Biblical Dictionary for the Christian Family, Belief in Jesus Christ, the Only Way to Salvation, and Jesus of Nazareth, Drawn According to History. This latter book, read by Van Gogh, makes a point of exploring Jesus' metaphors to speak about the coming kingdom of God. As an artist, Van Gogh picked up these metaphors and developed them. He used them to speak the most sacred of themes in the most worldly of scenes. There is one human being in this painting, only one, and it is a sower. But note that the way the glowing sun provides a radiant disk surrounding the head of this one individual. The sun declaring the divine presence and pouring down divine blessing upon this individual. The sower in this painting is none other than Christ. God among us in the truest and fullest sense of the word. And he is preparing, preparing the kingdom of God as he scatters the seeds of the gospel into this world. The seed is broadcast. The seed is broadcast and it is the friendship and forgiveness, the healing and the strength that is offered to us by God in the life, death, and resurrection of this Jesus, the Christ. The sower is Christ, but not only Christ. The sower is Christ and those who take up the work and the way of Christ, planting seeds of good news in, the, in their fields of endeavor, pointing to the kingdom of God in their daily round. Last Sunday, we were reminded of the Beatitudes declared by Jesus. 
Jesus declaring that the kingdom of God belongs to the simple and the humble who live under the sun, working in God's creation, relying completely upon God's loving kindness and steadfast care, God's covenantal love. Well, the more Van Gogh identified himself with the people, and particularly with the humble ones, the more he felt he was able to understand and support the kingdom of God. He wrote, I feel that my work lies in the heart of the people, that I must keep close to the ground, that I must grasp life in its depths and make progress through many cares and troubles. When he was in Amsterdam, the years 1881 to 83, a pregnant prostitute modeled for him in his studio, and he later took her and her newborn child into his home. At the birth of this infant, at the birth of Sien's child, Van Gogh wrote, without preaching a sermon, it may be true that there is no God here, but there must be one not far off. And at such a moment as this, one feels God's presence, which is the same as saying, and I readily give this sincere profession of faith, I believe in God. Last week, I mentioned how for a short time he worked as an evangelist amongst the miners, drawing close to them and feeling that he was in so doing, drawing close to God. He wrote in one of his letters, once I nursed for six weeks or two months a poor, miserable miner who'd been burned. I've shared my food for a whole winter with a poor old man and heaven knows what else. And now there is this woman, Sien. But so far, I've never thought all this foolish or wrong. I've always believed that love thy neighbor as thyself is no exaggeration. It is a normal condition. Living as did the humble one and the humble ones in dependence upon God. Living with the humble one and living with the humble ones with compassion and sacrifice. Van Gogh believed that this life is blessed by God. The life is given as surely as the sun shines upon this earth. So does God bless us and all who live such a human life. As I reflect upon both Christ and Christian, what strikes me is how Van Gogh portrays the sower so focused on what he is doing. Not looking back over the field of toil, not preoccupied with fate of seeds already sown. This painting speaks to me of an assurance that is deeply spiritual. Van Gogh's illness had started in the year 1887, one year before he painted this scene. The attacks would continue and become worse and worse, and they would make him more and more acutely aware than ever before that this life includes isolation from friends and even family. It can include illness of mind and body. 
It can involve contending with poverty and struggles of the soul. But all this Van Gogh placed within a larger framework of assurance. A few years previously, he wrote, One does not expect to get from life what one has already learned it cannot give. Rather, one begins to see more clearly that life is only a kind of sowing time, and the harvest is not here. Van Gogh paints with the assurance that there is a harvest. And as in the parable, it's a harvest that is more than we can expect. It's a hundredfold greater than that which we would imagine. A harvest that comes in spite of our failings and frustrations and frailties. You'll note that in this painting, the sower is broadcasting the seed in a tilled ground, but in the field beside, the field beside is blue. It's mature. It's blue, speaking of eternity and fullness. There is joy and abundance and security and peace in the promises of the Eternal One, sown in this life and completed in another. You'll notice how far forward is this figure of the sower in the painting. I'm sure that this sower is aware of so much that has passed, so much exertion and emotion has been expended. Perhaps also there's even anxiety and exhaustion. But the movement that we are given, that we see, is forward. This farmer does not look back over the seeds, but continues to sow steadfastly and surely. He continues his work, his wandering through the field, assured that there is hope. Hope. This is a painting that takes up those words of faith that we repeated in that psalm of old. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Or as we have just sung, in our end is our beginning, in our time, infinity. In our doubt, there is believing, in our lives, eternity. In our death, a resurrection, and at last, a victory, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. And so I conclude. I conclude by thinking that there are great contradictions in the life of an individual, in the life of this individual, this artist, Vincent van Gogh, a man who could not live with Christianity as most people accepted it in his day, but also could not live without it. A man who believed in community and compassion and ended up dying alone. A man whose life was filled with anguish and poverty and yet believed in divine providence and the promise of resurrection. There is much mystery as well as beauty 
in the Christian way. There is much struggle as well as assurance in the Christian faith. It may not be as we would expect or as we would choose, but it is a gift. So thanks be to God. Amen. As we turn now to a time of prayer, there are particular individuals and peoples on my mind and heart. I read that this past week the government of Canada had pledged to match aid given by individual Canadians to support the people of Beirut up to $2 million. Well, in the end, Canadians contributed over $8 million, and the government has pledged to match the entire amount. Thanks be to God. 
I heard that this week, after decades of research, vaccination, and education, wild polio has been declared by the World Health Organization eradicated from the continent of Africa. Thanks be to God. Early this week, on the very same day, I read in both one article in the Globe and Mail and one a page on the BBC website about two individuals, both women, both women now who had come to Canada as teenagers from Iran, both. The one has become the first female chair of neurosurgery at the University of Toronto, one of the largest such departments in the world. And the other is the founder and boss of the hugely successful video technology firm, Broadband TV. How good it was to be reminded that providing refuge for global brothers and sisters is not only to be understood as a Christian calling, it's also to mutual benefit. Thanks be to God. The World Council of Churches publishes each week prayers for various branches of the Church of Christ around the world. And, and this week there was a special article about the Presbyterian Church in Cameroon, West Africa. Cameroon, 27 million people. They are, however, deeply divided by a colonial legacy that left some bound together by the French language and others by the English language, the latter being the minority, but all of them threatened also by Boko Haram extremists. Well, we were asked to pray for the Presbyterian Church in Cameroon because, though part of the persecuted English-speaking minority, they are determined to be part of an evolving peace effort in that corner of this world. Thanks be to God. And finally, the moderator of our church, the Reverend Amanda Curry, has recently published uh, an encouragement, an encouragement in this time of school reopenings. You can find it on our own church congregational website. As she has written, as schools across Canada prepare to reopen soon, let us pray for all students, teachers, parents, and administrators, that they may have peace in their hearts, wisdom in their minds, and all the resources required for a safe and fruitful school year ahead. So may it be. Thanks be to God. Let us now continue in prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, you are holy, you are eternal, you are with us. You have been with us since the beginning of time, walking the paths provided by the stars, caring for your garden that is the earth. You have been with us through your people Israel, your mighty hand raising up in ancient times from slavery, opening up for them a new beginning, speaking to them through prophets, priests, and kings, blessing them to be a blessing to all peoples, so they might tell of your presence, your power, and they might live your promises. 
And you have been with us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who took up and fulfilled the life of your people, Israel. He who touched all who yearn for healing and taught all who inquire after meaning, and he who leads all who would follow through life and death back to your side. O God, you are with us by your Holy Spirit, coaxing and prodding us by ways mysterious into this community of faith that stretches around the world and across time. The church that stretches our minds to wonder, our lips to prayer, our hearts to compassion, and our lives to your service. Holy God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you are holy, you are eternal, you are with us, and it is you that we praise. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, and may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. O God, we lift up the peoples of this world who this day sow in tears, people suffering the force of storm and the experience of drought, people suffering leaders who promote division for their own purposes, people suffering illness and anxiety and exhaustion as this pandemic continues to hold this world in its thrall, people suffering discrimination and even death on the basis of the color of their skin, their religion, their culture. Oh God, we grieve this suffering of so many, and we ask for your healing of brokenness in a humanity fractured and hurting. Restore their fortunes, O Lord. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. And hear us, O Lord, now, as we continue in this time of silence to lift up those who this hour are particularly upon our heart and in our minds. Hear us, Lord, as we pray. It is to you, O God, that we lift up these whom we have named. We ask that you hold them in the palm of your hand, that you cover them and guide them. If we are far from them, we ask that you send them love on our behalf. As for ourselves, we are so grateful that no matter where we go or what we do, we walk knowing that we have your love on our backs and assurance certain hope in our pockets. That we know your kingdom of peace and justice is not only coming, but it's already growing among us, and that we can be part of it. May we live with this assurance, O God, to be strong for others. And so we pray, be with our families and our neighbors, be with our nation and all humanity, be with all our relations of water, land, and sky. Be with this your good creation. And may we be with you as you are with them. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, and we continue in the words he taught us together to say, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us conclude now by singing a hymn from our Book of Praise that comes to us from the Netherlands, a traditional Dutch folk melody and words from the year 1626. We praise you, O God. bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his favor upon you and grant you peace this day and your every day. Amen. Amen.